0: Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Good morning, church. That was an extended time because we were changing out some batteries up there, so... Good morning, you guys, my name is Jenna. I am, um, if you are new to this church, I am not the pastor of this church, um, Brian Adams is. Uh, I am one of the elders at this church, so if you have a problem with said pastor, you can come to Steve. Um, so yeah. anyways, it's my pleasure to be here to bring the word today. We are um, in a series and we are looking at exploring the renewal that God does in community as we learn to kind of take responsibility for ourselves, so that it enables us to love others. And we are looking through Galatians 6 passage. Um, you should all have it memorized by now if you come. And we're, today we're going to look at the relational aspect between us and friends. We are living in a super weird age, right? Um, anxiety, depression are at a high Um isolation and then add fear that we didn't even know existed after the pandemic came into our lives and then you know, the wonderful business community is like, I know what to do after all of that. Let's just have everyone work from home, isolated from one another. It seems like the best thing for us right now. So we have, um, you know, I was with my sister and she has a 16 year old daughter and she was like bribing her to get her driver's license. And I was like, why are you bribing her? I feel like that's like what we wanted, like you know, we couldn't, get, couldn't wait together. And she was like, oh, Jenna, people don't drive to each other's houses and hang out anymore. I was like, what? She's like, oh, they just text and play online. They don't drive and hang out. And I was like, we are not okay. Um, But we are a world of people who need to connect, right? Ryan talked about this last week. We were born, created, two people, not just one, for connection. And we need to connect in real and personal ways. And I don't even know if we're going to be aware of how dangerous the spot that we're in now is. Um, in the future, so also things that we can do is we can sniff out the fake, right? We keep talking about this, we, we get it. If, it's, if it seems hokey, we're out. Um, and research is saying that older individuals are going away from meaningless hookups for kids in the room um, and into more meaningful relationships, like the, the culture is shifting that way. And I saw this slide on social media scooting around um, and it broke my heart. Um, you guys saw it, because like 25 of you reposted it, because that's how I saw it. Um, but I do think that we are in a place that we're trying to dismantle this lie of tax- toxic masculinity that says we cannot, as a man, relate emotionally to one another. Um, and social media has its downfalls, but what I think it's done is it's make awareness to these things aware, right? Like we become more aware of people suffering from mental illness, we become more aware of people having mental illness and loneliness. So it's done these good things and it's brought the stigma of going into mental health counseling down. But what that also has done is brought everyone having their personal deep issues and connections into the counseling office and outside of community. I love counseling. You'll hear many stories today, so that's not what I'm saying. But it has brought and shifted it into the counselor's office away. And we here as Christians, right, are called to die to our sin every day, but also called to die to sin collectively. And so I think we don't have the—we're um, not equipped to do this well in community. And if we have some equipment, we're all not equipped, and so it gets a little weird. So that's why I think it's important to talk about this today. Um Yeah, I mean, the research is saying we're lonely and we need each other. So today I want to talk about how to do that in a healthy way. Um, And specifically, there's a lot of ways to go with a friendship talk, um, but I want to talk about friendships, close Christian community friendships. So that's where we're going to be headed today. So let's read the Galatians 6 passage. Um, together. And I'm going with straight old NIV for those of you. Ryan, doozy last week. He's not here so we can make fun of him as much as we want, but goodness gracious. And I'm only going to verse six, scandal. All right, let's read it together. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks there are someone when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor." So in this Galatians passage, it's telling us to share each other's burdens. So today we're gonna to look at who's the other person, how do we lay our lives down for our friends in a healthy way, and we'll finish up by talking about what do we do when things go south. Um, so let's pray. You pray for me, I'll pray for you. Jesus, would you come and bring your word to us today that anything that comes out of my mouth is only what you want to say and edifies the body. Would you take the scales away from our eyes be able to see and hear you more clearly. We need you, Jesus. Amen. So in Galatians 6, 4 through 5, in the message version, I'm just going to throw that one in there for us, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given, and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your life. The first step to ensuring any health in a relationship is to know who you are. Is that me constantly? Check the connection. Sorry, close your ears. Yeah. Me now, Okay. The first step to um, ensure health in our friendships is to know who we are. Spoiler alert, who you are is someone who is deeply loved. So anyone who's ever been in a relationship for more than like, I don't know, six days. Okay, maybe, maybe a few longer years knows that you think you know who you are when you enter a relationship, right? You go through marriage counseling or you go through counseling with your significant other and you think you have a good grasp and then the person like leaves their clothes all over the floor and their monster energy cans in every single area of the house and a monster of your own comes out from inside of you and you didn't even know you were that person. And that was just last week, 16 years into marriage. Okay, so the, the point is who we are shifts over time. So we have to consistently be aware of who we are. When you know you are loved, the more you will treat others as those who are loved as well. Similar to what Jonathan was preaching, the more we are forgiven, the more easy it is for us to forgive others. My friend Jennifer Goodyear wrote this gorgeous book on prayer, and this is a quote from it. As we come to know we are loved just as we are, we are free to love others just as they are. This isn't a sentimental feeling that whitewashes injustice, but a deep awareness of the gratuitous love that holds and anchors all and which makes every creature deserving of our attention and care. As Christians, our number one goal in life is to love God, to get to know him, is to be no, sorry, Yes, all of those things. But our number one goal is to know and be known by God so that we can look like him to the rest of the world. But before we can know Christ, we have to know what he thinks of us. We are delighted in by the God of the universe. My counselor, I came back to her after a few months and she was like, how are you experiencing the delight of God in your life? And I was like, the heck? I don't know um, delight in, in the guy. I was like, I don't even know if she's like speaking truth at this point. Um, I was like, I think he likes me. I think he, um, enjoys me. He uses me for tasks, but delights in me. Now you're, now you're going hokey. And then jokes on me. I started reading scripture and it's literally everywhere, everywhere. If you're a skeptic like me, I put some up on the thing for us. Um, just tell me if I need to fix this. This is going to bother everyone. Um, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves, He take great delight in you, in His love, he no longer rebuke you. But we rejoice over you with singing. Psalm 18, He brought us out into the spacious place. He rescued me because He delighted in me. Psalm 149, "For the Lord takes delight in His people. He crowns the humble with victory. It's everywhere, this is just like literally a few. Meister Eckhart is a German philosopher and a Catholic theologian, and he said that we are created from the laughter of the Trinity. We are created for love, um, by love, for love. That is what the Trinity does, it delights in each other and we are offered that same dynamic and relationship and we cannot do relationship well with others if we are not grounded in the truth about who we are. Jesus, before he went into ministry, what did he do? He went out into the the desert and he battled Satan. What are the questions that Satan was asking him, are you really God? Do you really have what it takes to care for all these people? Are you really all powerful, right? He's questioning the identity about who he is and he does all this before he goes into ministry. If you have an unhealthy relationship, this is the place to start, not going all in on the other person. I've had people come up to me and, and throughout my life and be like, Jenna, you seem to like to have it all together. You have like a great job, great kids, a relatively successful marriage. And, um, and I'm always like inside and you've thought it before when people tell it to you. <laughs> if you only knew, right? If you only knew, my poor husband knows, if you only knew what was true, It seems that the people who don't know us very well often have the most to appreciate in us because the lie of if you only knew leaves me believing the truth that if you really knew me, there was nothing to be delighted about in me, that there isn't goodness deep down inside. So as always, we have competing desires. I want you to think I'm cool. I want you to think I'm awesome. I want you to appreciate me, but I also really wanna be known right? But also that first desire wins out. So I keep you at a distance so you don't have to see the self-proclaimed badness in me. So I keep you at a distance and I don't let you in because God forbid you see what I think is truest about me. And these, in, these ideas are ingrained in us from culture and really crappy theology that we grew up with in, in the 90s, right? This idea of goodness and badness. It's been debated from Calvinism, uh, Augustine debated it, humanism, it's all of it. And the devil loves it. we are so confused about our goodness. But I like to think of myself like this delicious chocolate cake. All right, so we have this beautiful exterior. Ooh, she's got all these good things going for her. She's pretty impressive, but underneath that is the next layer. She's kind of emotionally a wreck, and she has really bad knees. Under that, she's a good friend. Under that, she's really worried about what people think about her, right? After a conversation with a friend, she spirals. Under that, I really long to be known. But underneath that, I pretty much want people to think I'm cool and not a fraud, so I don't want to give everything. Underneath that, I honestly want to know Jesus. And then the beautiful exterior of all that delicious icing is that I am delighted in by the God of the universe. We are a mix of good and bad. And here's our story, God created humans and it was good, full stop. We were born with the imago Dei, the image of God imprinted into our DNA, into our souls, and through that we have been given the ability to have a moral compass. And then corruption came into the world and we also inherited that brokenness. There's always this debate or original sin, not original sin, exception, we were corrupted over time, We have this built-in image of God, but we also have inherited brokenness at the same time. And that's why we have 22-year-olds, you know, having orphanages in Africa, saving all these kids' lives, but also 22-year-olds strapping a bomb to their chest and running into a marathon. I like to think of it like my children have their DNA, my DNA in them, right? Steve and I DNA inside of them, bits and pieces of them. So they have the ability to genetically reflect me at certain times of their life. They have this genetic potential. And if their soulless highest goal in life was to be just like me, as she watches me and she watches me love and she watches my reactions and she watches everything that I do and she mimics that, then she can over time be the best version of me that she can be. Obviously, that is not what I want for my daughter, Um, but it's the same with God. And this helps me understand my goodness. We are going to need to refer back to this over and over again in relationship with each other. And we have to work on this personally over time as it shifts, but we also need each other to remind us of this. And the devil wants to lie to you. He wants to tell you that there is nothing good in you. There's nothing to be delighted in so that you stay in bondage to that lie, so that you never open up to others. And that's how we miss out on the freedom that opening up gives us. I have an example. It's funny because some friends from InterVarsity are here today, and they know the people I'm talking about. And I've never shared this with anyone, but here we go. Um, 13 years ago, um, Steve was a minister for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, a college campus, and two students of his got pregnant. And um, as I was, you know, hearing from her how she was doing, et cetera, et cetera, she always was like, "You know, we're okay. Like we're making it. Uh, we're doing the best we can." I'm actually a little excited to have this baby, and inside, I'm reeling. Um, I'm, I'm mad that it has been so easy for her on the outside, it's right? not easy. Um, I was ticked that she wasn't experiencing the moral demise that I was promised from my crappy theology of my childhood would happen to me if I had sex outside of marriage right? So here's me coming to her. God knows what I even said. I hope that I did not say anything that was as horrible as what I was thinking, but this is me coming to her, not as a woman who possesses the Imago day, not as a woman that has experienced goodness and delight, but as a woman who doesn't feel okay inside, so I'm projecting all that onto her, and God knows what happened. Definitely wasn't fruitful in our relationship, and now, 13 years later, right, her daughter's babysitting my kids. She's amazing. They're amazing. Everything about them is amazing. It's nothing to do with who they are, right? I've experienced God's goodness and sweetness over my life in different ways. And I can pinpoint how he's delighted in me. Thanks for my counselor. Um, and now, if someone comes to me with something that I think they should be experiencing something different with, I'm quicker to see it. And I can offer them how Jesus thinks about them. Maybe a a way that he's delighting in them, even in this hardship in their life. Make sense? So over the years, I've found that knowing the truth about ourselves helps us see what we have to offer our friends, but it also helps us to see where our motivations are coming from. And it leads us to think about what expectations we have for our friends and what expectations we have from our friends. So let's first talk about different types of friends. And this is what Ryan was um, alluding to a couple weeks ago when he rudely dissed every single person in his small group. Um, You guys remember, maybe you don't. Um, so there are different types of friends in your life, um, and there's books about this. My, my classifications are not fancy whatsoever. You can read, I don't know, Find Your People by Jenny Allen. I haven't read it, but it's popular. I saw it at Hobby Lobby yesterday for 40% off if you want it. Um, pretty yellow color. Anyways, um, so the first, first classification is acquaintances, right? Like people you have fun with. Great. Love them. Um, and then I have acquaintances plus some real life talk. Isn't that fancy? Um, okay. So that may be people at work. It may be your family, unfortunately. Um, some people that ha- you can share some things with, but not the, the massive amounts of things that you share. Um, and then we have the church community at large, a group of people that have a similar goal and therefore kind of a similar language to life. So you feel... Um, Better opening up a little bit more about your life, but you're not gonna share everything, right? Got it? And then we have our smaller community, our smaller intimate community, usually about 10 to 12 people. This might be your small group that you do, like Ryan was talking about, people that you are intentionally engaging in um, and people that you feel uh, okay wrestling with things And it doesn't necessarily mean they're acquaintances that you hang out in your time, but it's intentional. And then we have um, our, what I call, my inner few soul friends, right? That's about three to five people. I don't know if, uh, hopefully, your spouse is one of those, Um, but yeah. So these are friends that you don't have to filter a lot with. These are people that you have built up trust over time so they can say things to you that don't make you feel defensive or reflective. Um, And Jesus did a great job of mirroring this for us. Matthew 26 is telling us, um, uh, you know, all about this in in a way. And so he has his church, right, the community at large that he hangs out with, that he does ministry with, and they know a little bit about him. Then he has his 12 disciples, right, and he gets to share meals with them, and they know about his heart. And... um, Um, well, you know about the 12. And then he has his inner three best friends, Peter, James, and John. And they get to experience things that the other 12 don't experience, the transfiguration, the agony in the garden. They are invited into a place that is different than the rest. And it's a really good vision for us as friends. And it's okay that some friends are in the other group and they're not in the other. Jesus modeled it for us. And I don't have any scientific data, although I'm sure it's out there, but we were not made, our hearts were not made to share our deep, most intimate parts of our life with everyone. They were only made to share with a select few. And we can't do it with everyone, it's impractical, you don't have enough time, and it's unsafe in a way. Um, so I like to think of it in, in, in terms of this goaltender, Andre Vasilevsky. Boo? Correct. But he is the best goaltender in the league, and he did bring the Lightning to win two Stanley Cups, although Jonathan thinks he only has two more years left in him. But here he is anyways, the Russian goaltender. So here is a picture of him playing all the hockey padding that you have to wear in a game, although it's an old school picture. So you have the leg pads. Um, Switch to the next one. Yeah, leg pads, uh, whatever pads, skates, uh, you got your wrist guard, you got your stick, you got your helmet, all these different things, right? So, and here he is without his hockey goaling, uh padding on. Look at that little rush in. Okay, um, all right, you get the idea. So, if he goes into the net and gets hit with a 90 mile an hour slap shot, which he does often, without his padding on and he gets hit in the head, he might quite frankly die. It, it'll... be brain dead if he gets hit in the knee it's shattered and he never plays for the rest of his life so but then he puts all his padding on and he gets into net and he gets hit by that 90 mile hour slap shot it stings but it's manageable this is what it's like in relationships over time right so you build up trust in relationships you get each of the different paddings on so when your friend comes to you my inner soul friend and says you are wanting something from your spouse that he was never supposed to give you ouch 90 mile an hour, right to my soul, right? And I'm like, wait, okay, she loves me. She wants the best for me. She's been there through everything. She understands that I need Jesus more than my spouse. Okay, I'm gonna trust her. I built up this padding over time. Now, if an acquaintance with maybe some real talk, maybe a church community person that didn't really know me really well came to me and said the same thing, I'd be like, you don't know me. I wouldn't say this out loud because I'm not that big of a jerk sometimes. But I'd be like, you don't know how I've been hurt, you don't understand the relationality, and I would probably just walk away feeling shame and really missed. You can't do this with everyone. So there's going to be people that we have to release back out into the world and into the wild and pray that they find their people. And as we tune into the spirit, we can see that there'll be different times when people come into our lives and out of our lives, and that is okay. They can come into your inner circle and out of your inner circle, and that doesn't mean you did a good job or bad job of friendship. Maddie Hogue is a great example of this. We are in a small group together. Our brothers have similar stories, and hers was going through something. We were able to kind of be really close in that, sharing kind of the the experiences we've had. And for a period of time, that was really close. And then I haven't seen her for like a year and a half. Um, Do I miss her? Yes. Do I want to hang out with her? Yes. But is it wrecking me? Am I saying I'm a bad friend for not being that close to her anymore? No. The spirit led us together for a time where we needed each other. And then he released her back into her people and me back into my people. That's okay. I never see a place in the scripture where Jesus is stressed about being close to everyone. What does he do? He instills his friends, he gives them gifts, and he sends them out to their people. Go. Be with those people. Those are your people. The people that are women that aren't getting food, go. Here, let me send these people out to them. He's, he, he breaks it up and lets people go. So a caveat, quick caveat. If uh, there are sometimes some people in the church that are given a word from the Lord for people that are not in their close community— That should be very, very rare. If the word that you are giving or the word that you are receiving is not kind and does not lead you into closer relationship with Jesus, then I would highly doubt that word, okay? Yeah, it should be really, really rare. Also, while I'm on the caveat, caveat this way, I want to speak specifically to the men in our community. I know that the things I'm talking about and the things I'm going to talk about are harder for you than they are, most some some people, are harder for some men than they are for some women, relationally. You have hundreds of years of culture behind you telling you, do not figure out what you feel, do not share how you feel. If you share how you feel, then you're going to be termed a certain whatever. Okay, and we are constantly trying to break that down. I saw these slides, here's two slides from that thing again. I'm telling you, they're breaking my heart. One in five single men, they have no close relationships. Next one, without an outlet for emotional expression, men are more likely to develop violent or suicidal thoughts. Guys, we need you to try these things out in community. We need you to not believe the lie of toxic masculinity that says you cannot open up emotionally to your friends. We love you and we want you to learn this stuff alongside us and we get it and we champion you into that, all right? Okay, I'm off. And. With each of these different groups, we have different expectations of people and how you expect them to treat you, right, in these different categories, Uh, it, it affects the way that we relate to each other. And if expectations are off, that's when we have some tiffs. And we're gonna talk about that at the end. But the first thing I wanna talk about here is what is the highest goal we hold for our friends? If we have a good grasp on our identity in Christ, then we know that in relationship we get to offer that to our friends. So I want to read this scripture of Ephesians 3, and I want you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine it. Imagine Paul saying this over you. you got it? Close your eyes. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You can open your eyes. We have been given the ability to understand the incredible love of Christ, and we were created to have communion with each other to live that out. Also, Christ has empowered us. He has given his power to us to help each other grow close to him. Larry Krabs, my favorite, and he always says we are supernatural people, so we have supernatural ability to speak into our friends and our spouse and our kids. This will help us see the real battle inside our friends' souls. The most powerful thing we can do in relationship to help someone change is to offer them the rich taste of God's incredible goodness in Christ. I know it sounds hokey. I know it sounds Christianese. I know it sounds like we're ignoring the problem, but we're not. And it is true. As I mentioned before, we always have competing desires in us. We have first desires, and we have secondary desires. First desire, I put it up here because I think it's so important to know God and experience communion with him, Um, to be so anchored in the joy and the hope of eternal joy that we can endure any hardship as a privilege and an opportunity to be more like Christ, right? That's our first goal. Good luck on that journey, by the way. Then we have our secondary desires that we're all very well acquainted with. We really want life to go well. We want to have minimal pain. We want things to work out, they're good things, but we cannot elevate them above the first. So it's important to know that when we're in relationship, our friends are always battling this constantly. The I want to do something that makes my life better versus I want to experience God through this issue and whatever means that he thinks it's possible so that I can trust him even if life gets better or not. Are we calling our friends to this? Are we just calling them to different ways of living that make their life feel better? Are we just trying to help them figure out the answer to their question? Or are we calling them into mystery of possibly never having the answer for that? But finding Jesus and being near to him in it, we need to evaluate what our friend's highest goals are. What does our friend want the most? And we see examples of this all the time through Scripture. So this is why I know it's true. Abraham wanted a son. What did God do? You want to lay it down for me? What do you want most? Mary Magdalene, what do you want most to to try to salvage your, your you know identity in this community? No, I'm going to lay down at Jesus' feet and I'm going to I'm going to wash his, his feet with my hair. Mary, his mother, do you want to be shamed in a culture, or you want to care the <laughs> have the savior of the world in your belly and ruin everything? Right, but Jesus himself laying down everything for us too because God's call was greater and He knows the intimacy with Him is greater. It's everywhere. So how does this relate to expectations? Are we expecting our friends just to listen to us? If they're an acquaintance with some real talk kind of category, then that might be a great expectation to have for them. Are they expecting us to help them with our problem? What kind of help are we looking for? Do they know that they're supposed to be helping us with our problem? Are they ones that we've built up trust with so that they're safe to hold our story? If not, don't share it. You're gonna feel bad after. And am I just really wanting to make my friend feel better? It's good, but it's not the best thing. So in the passage, remember, we read that it says that if people fall into sin, forgivingly restore them. So how do we practically bring about this restoration? So I'm going to, these are the three things that I think are the best ones that I've learned over 20 years of studying uh, spiritual direction and things like that. And we're going to go through an example. And um, just look through these top three things. So let's think. Let's say our friend comes to us and they're like having a problem in relationship, right? Their friend or their spouse or whatever. I'm having this problem. Maybe that person broke trust for them. Maybe that person hurt their feelings, etc. So you listen to your friend and you um, hear them out, and you um, maybe have to ask them, "What do you feel?" Because sometimes it's hard for people to come up with their feelings. So the first thing we do is we hear that we hear them. The first thing is we think beneath us to inward why are we in this relationship? What do we have to offer? Okay, so what do we have to offer them? Well, I know the truth about who I am. I am grounded in that. I have the Imago Day. So whatever I say to this person and however they perceive about me, it does not define who I am. I know my goodness. And I have the power of Christ in me to speak into my friend's life. Supernatural power. So know who you are. Know the power that you possess. The second part is um, next, you're gonna think beneath for on behalf of your friend. You're going to see what's the real battle in my friend's life? What is the desire that's ruling them? What do they want most? And so we start to see you know, do they want just restoration in their friendship, or do they want to work it out in communion with Father God? So we start to ask Jesus what are you up to in their life? Can you help us see what's going on in them? What is the thing that you're calling them into deeper reliance on you in? If we just offer them just ways to patch up their relationship, um, maybe to see it from the other person's point of view, maybe to validate their feelings, it, it is life management and it will work for a little while. But what if we joined her or him in their brokenness in their heartache on the journey, towards the heart of Jesus, to experience communion with him, so deeply that even this is an opportunity to know God better. That would leave her into real soul rest, even if their relationship is never restored. And then the third, this is the hardest one, now comes speaking into our friends' lives. And if this is terrifying to you, it should be, right? This is the part we start to refer to someone else. Oh, to go talk to Ryan. He has office hours. He's always talking about here about us coming to him. Go talk to him. Or um, um, here's, here's, some, here's some advice that I was given. Here's some good advice for patching up your, your relationship. But God has called us specifically to walk with each other in it. We ask Jesus to lead us and we wait. So I call this tagging along behind the spirit to see people's desire for God to be greater than any other desire. And realizing this also helps us detach from these um, expectations and unhealthy expectations that we have in this relationship, right? We want to be the friend that has the visible results. We want to be the one that offers the aha moment and has them come to such clarity. But we also have to battle our own desire in that. I want her to think I'm smart and trustworthy and helpful, And these inner thoughts cloud the way that we relate to each other. So I go back to my first desire, right? And the truth about who I am, nope, I don't need her to validate me in this relationship. I have Christ to do that. And I'm willing to sit in this silence with her, asking Jesus on behalf for how long and no matter how long it takes, even if it looks unproductive or unhelpful. And while that seems scary, this is the place where we get to relax. The pressure is off. You do not have to fix your friends. The pressure is off. We can love our friends more deeply because we are not worried the whole time that we have to have what it takes to fix them. Our job is to journey with them into what Christ is doing in their life, specifically in this issue. So how do we journey with them? Because that's another hokey term, right? It looks like sitting and waiting, a lot. We ask our friends a crap ton of questions. And if our first instinct is to tell a similar story about your life, don't do it. If your first instinct is to say, I have this book that you should read, don't offer it. It might be a time for that, but the time is not now because then it shifts the focus back onto you and your friend feels missed. And worst, her soul is never called to desire God above every other thing. I have no idea how to help her get there is the best point we can be on because that's when we need to refer and rely on the Spirit. Maybe she's sharing something that reminds you of something she said in the past. So you say, hey, I remember you talking about this a couple months ago or when you told me your story. What's up with that? Or maybe you hear someone say something several times in a conversation and you say, I heard you say that three times. What's going on there? Or you're sitting there and some supernatural weird word comes into your head that has nothing to do with what's going on and you cannot get it out of your head and you're like, I'm hearing the word restoration, I know, or I mean, whatever, that, that actually makes sense. You know what I'm talking about. I'm hearing the word dove. Um, you can be like, I don't know what that means, but you can take it with Jesus, right? Sometimes he gives us the opportunity to have the aha moment, but sometimes he doesn't. Most of the time he doesn't. I have this really great example from what this looked like in my life a couple weeks ago. Um, Wednesday night, we have our community group, and I was reeling. I was, I'm on my journey of learning what it looks like to rest. And I came to my group and I just like hit a point. My mind was racing, I could not stop. I was not doing well. My poor community group listened to me cry and just rage, and I'm like, what is rest to you? (laughs) I was like making them define what rest looks like to them, and they were asking me all these questions. They were doing such a good job. Um, What does rest look like to you, and um, you know, what is a peaceful time in your life, and what does that remember, and oh, this is what I hear you saying, and they did a really great job, but at the end of the night, I definitely felt known by them, but I had no resolution of what I was going on. My head was still spinning, so then I went to my uh, dinner. I have Tuesday night with my few inner, few soul friends that have known me for 20, Years, and they spoke even more, like, hey, I remember you, you, you wrestle with this a lot. What's going on this time? What's Jesus doing this time specifically? And also, they were like, you know, I have, uh, I remember when I had the little kids, so they could tell me a story because I built up that trust padding, and I know they're not shifting it to them, right? So I remember when I had little kids, I felt like this, et cetera. So I did feel, again, known, but still, still not, not completely shifted from the place where I was at. Then I went to counseling. And she says, you know, Jenna, you keep saying, like, I have to figure out what it looks like to rest. That just is just another way of saying that keeps you in control of this entire situation. And I was like, oh, God, you're right. This is why I pay you big bucks, Right. Um, and she was like, you'll feel rest when you align yourself with the way that the Trinity is interceding on behalf of people, because that's your spiritual gifting, and when you start to realize and intercede alongside him, that's when you'll find rest, and I was like, she's right, so I felt a little better coming out of that, but still felt tied to something and the next day i woke up and i was listening to my um like pause app that i do on my way to work i'll post it in the slack channel it's really good um and i heard the lord say what's the vow and i was like oh dear here we go and i was like the vow is i need to be in control or everything will fall apart and the other vow i need to figure out how to rest or i'm going to die and my family's going to implode and jesus was like where's the first thing and I was like, Ugh, all I want is control and rest. I want it more than I want you. I get it. I see it in everything relaxed in me. I was able to align my first things and my second things. And I felt release even since then. But it was a beautiful image for me of what community does and different parts of my community and how we speak into each other's life. Holy Spirit did the work, right? My friends, I'm not pressuring them to figure me out. I was pressuring my small group. God bless them. But anyways, they did a, they did a good job not doing it. Ephesians 4, 29 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And uh, this isn't just talking about cussing, I hope. Um, Be careful to speak into someone's life if you have not seen their battle clearly. Not until you have all the right words and right answers for your friends. Often that gets messy and gets in the way. See the battle. Speak what Jesus is telling you to speak. The pressure is off. So what do we do when it goes wrong? And this is the last little section. Um... I discussed before that tiffs can arise if we have different expectations in different types of relationships. So I want us to, uh, to think and, and pay attention to the feelings we have in these different relationships. Right? Emotions and feelings are reactions or expressions of something deeper that's going on inside of us. So we can use these feelings and these emotions as a place to enter in with curiosity. They don't rule us. So every time I finish a conversation with this person, I feel missed. Every time I'm done talking with this person, I feel completely drained. Every time I get home from this person, the whole time I'm riding home, my mind is racing and I can't stop thinking like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I feel complete shame. Or every time I talk to this person, I leave and I'm really angry that they have not listened to my advice. All right? Now we've got emotions to start with, right? So you feel missed? Go back to the first thing about the truth about who you are. I'm completely loved by Jesus, and I have as Imago day as the truest thing about me. Okay, I'm going to start there. Maybe all he or she can give is what they're giving. But maybe they don't even know that they're missing you. So maybe you have to have a conversation. Hey, um, when we talk, I just feel like you kind of give. No, I feel missed. I'm not going to put the blame on someone else. I feel missed. Sometimes I just really need you to hear me. Or maybe you thought this is one of your friends in a different category that isn't that friend because they don't have the skill set to help you through what you're going through at this point in time. And that's okay. We have to align our expectations and see if they're unrealistic or not. That doesn't mean they can't be a good friend, it just means we can expect something different out of them. Are you feeling drained after hanging with someone? Well, maybe that person wants something out of you that they're never supposed to get from you, but supposed to get from Jesus. So start to be curious. What is their battle they're dealing with? What do they want most? Do they want intimacy with him? Or are they looking for me to tell them how good of a friend they are? Have I been trying to tell them advice about their life just to help them through secondary things? And now I need to readjust my hopes for them. Is that what's draining me? Am I taking on their problems as if they're my own? Well, then I need to realign who is in charge. Do you walk away feeling really crappy in shame in relationships? I do this all the time. We have to battle ourselves in close relationships because we too want secondary things. I want you to tell me that I'm a good friend. I want you to tell me that I'm okay, that I have goodness inside of me. Again, we need to be grounded. That's why I go through it so much in the beginning about who we are and what our goodness comes from. And when we do that, we will not need our friends to validate us. So we will be free in those relationships, honest in them, free to struggle together without feeling that the other person has to fix me the whole time. Are you feeling angry? Well, we cannot control people's responses and we weren't supposed to. We are not responsible for the responses either. This is a big one for me. So pay attention that if you feel angry in relationships and people, you're offended that people didn't take your advice, maybe your worth is somehow wrapped up in the advice you have of being a good friend. If she values me, then she'll take my advice, right? Remember, it's not about us. We need to adjust our view, our goal for our friend. We need to have a loftier vision for them. I had this patient one time and I spent like 30 minutes telling him about how he has to take his meds every day or he'll become resistant to them, blah, blah, blah. I spent all this time and then he comes back like two months later, he's like, I'm off my meds. And I was like, what? Come on, man. We just spent 30 minutes talking about why it's important to take your medicines. And he looks at me, he's like, it feels like you're taking this really personally. And I was like, of course I'm taking this personally. I just spent all my energy and time telling you to take your meds and you're not listening to me. And then I left the clinic. I was like, oh, I'm taking it really personally. Uh, He was right. I don't think I've ever seen him again. Um, I can't control you, right? And your response to taking your meds does not equal my worth as a provider. I got it now. So when there are times like this, Yeah, I think we just have to fall before Jesus and give it to him. And then there's times in relationship we just have to let some people go. And that's okay, too. Here's my last story. I was um, in college, and uh, the peak of Jenna has to be everyone for everything. And I was like one of the very few Christians at my college. It's not a, there's literally like 10 of us. And I felt like it was my personal job to do every, get everyone on board with Christ. And boy, did I try. Oh, I tried so hard. And it was like fail, 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 fail. And uh, I was pretty, feeling pretty defeated, and I went to this church event, um, and it was um, our uh, church has like a sister church in England, and we we're hanging out, and the pastor from that church talked to me, his name was Gaz, such a cool name, um, and uh, for, he was like talking to me for like one second, and then he's like, Jenna, sometimes Jesus had to dust the, the sand off his sandals and walk to a different house. And I was like, What? and it ruined me and it changed everything for me. Jesus did not feel the pressure to be everything for everyone, he didn't. He, went, he, followed his, he followed the spirit and he went to some people and he spoke really truth into them and some of them followed them and some didn't. And he was really sad when they didn't, but he did not run after them trying to restore everything in their relationship. He was like, listen, you gotta make your own choices. He didn't try to personally save everyone. We well, did on the cross, but you know what I mean. That changed everything for me. A guy who had known me for one minute, remember, if the word that a stranger is speaking to you is kind and bringing you closer to Jesus, you can listen to it. And he did it, and it changed everything for me. The pressure is off. So find your people and practice these truths and feel the freedom. You don't have to fix your friends. You just have to be on them in the journey and follow, tag along behind the spirit and see how he is moving. So we don't have enough time because I I chatter for a long time, but I'm going to put some questions up here. You don't have the three minutes of sitting and thinking that Ryan always does, but um, take a picture or not, I don't care. Um, Spend some time thinking through these things this week. Who are your closest friends? How do you feel when you're with them? What kind of vision and desires do you have for them? Do you need to adjust your expectations? Are you avoiding deep relationships because it feels awkward? Find someone close to safe enough to share that with and see what the Spirit does in it. Be brave in community share your first desires and second desires and ask your friends to call you to the truth and start using your power that you have by Jesus to start speaking into each other's lives and we'll see transformation. Let's pray. Jesus, would you give us vision for what friendship looks like and means? Would you start to spark these things, these ideas in our community groups God, that we would desire you more than anything else. And we'd be quick to find it. It causes less heartache. And we would be gentle to restore each other to those places. We're so grateful for the people that you have given us to do that with. Thank you, Father. We worship you. Amen.